Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Welcome to The Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. She transitioned to Putin. She looked absolutely beautiful. Mm. She had the kiss curls going. She was in a pair of tight jeans. She had breasts at that time. So we started talking. Mm-hmm. And she told me, girl, you need to get on moans. <laughs> girl, you need to get on moans. Yes. Hello and welcome to the Laverne Cox Show. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the life of someone who means so very much to me. Tracy Norman is legendary in the modeling world. In the 1970s, she helped break color barriers as a black high fashion and commercial model. She was the first black woman to appear on a box of Clairol hair color, number 512, Dark Auburn, an incredible achievement for any model at the time. Norman has modeled and been photographed for publications such as Essence, Vogue Italia, Harper's Bazaar India, among others. She used to walk the runway twice a day in Paris for Balenciaga. All this from a woman from Newark, New Jersey, who had been assigned male at birth, but no one knew. I discovered her about 11 years ago and couldn't stop talking about her. Discovering Tracy just opened up this this world for me of just imagining what her life was like, what trans life was like in the 70s in New York, which I've always been obsessed with. 
the fact that there was a Black trans woman on a Clairol hair color box that was in drugstores all over the country just is deeply inspiring to me to this day. And found her number (laughs) and called her. And 11 years later, we get to have a conversation here on this podcast about her life, her groundbreaking career, and how her resilience and ability to reinvent herself have carried her back into the arms of the modeling world today, open and free. But first, please be advised that there is a short story which references an assault that some may find disturbing and or triggering. Please enjoy my conversation with Tracy Africa Norman. Yes, I'm here. Hello, Tracy Norman. Welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today, darling? I am doing great, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. It is my absolute joy and pleasure to be able to have this conversation with you. You are your living legend, and you are so important to me and to our community, and I believe to the world. I would love to get started by letting folks know a little bit about you, but I want to start with the day that you met Irving Penn, one of the fashion world's most iconic photographers, and ended up on the pages of Italian Vogue. Can you talk us through the day that that happened? Yes, sure. I got a phone call from a friend, uh, Al Grundy, and he gave me a phone call because at that time I was still learning how to walk because he was training me. Mm-hmm. So we have a listing of when the Seventh Avenue shows were going on. So he would send me to these places. And what I would do is take my portfolio with me. And in order for me to get in, because it's invitation only, I would tell them that I am a student of FIT and they would let me come in and line up behind the wall. The day that I was discovered, he sent me to the Pierre Hotel. I was assuming that I was going to see another fashion show. So as I was coming across the street, I noticed on the opposite side of Fifth Avenue in front of the hotel, there was a group of models that I had recognized. So I followed them all on the elevator. The um, attendant was there, and they knew the floor that they were going to. So she let us off at the floor. I went to the right, not knowing where I was going, and the other girls went to the left, and they went down this very long hallway to this huge suite on the end, but all the girls was lined up outside, and they were going in one at a time. I just Mm -hmm. stayed online for some reason. My feet would move, and I just stayed there. And I was the last one online. So when I went in, I didn't realize that I was speaking to Mr. Penn at the time. He asked me my name, and was I with an agency, and I told him no. Mm -hmm. So he asked if I had had a picture that I could leave him with my information, which I did. And about three days later, I got a phone call from his assistant telling me that that I'm being booked for Italian Vogue, and it's a two-day shoot, $1,500 for each day. That is amazing. Yes. Do you remember how old you were roughly when all of this happened? Yeah, I graduated in um, 72 at 18, and that didn't take place until 75. 
So I was in my early 20s. And for the very first go-see that you didn't even know you were on, you ended up in Italian Vogue. That is an unbelievable story. It's so crazy. Can you tell me what the shoot was like? Well, when I got to the studio, there was um, people were setting up the cameras. I saw Mr. Penn. He was sitting at a desk and he was talking on the phone. I waved to him and he pointed me to the dressing room. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of girls that were already there who was getting their makeup and hair done. I said good morning to everybody, but no one spoke. Mm, Interesting. And so afterwards, Peggy Dillard came through the door and came into the dressing room. I said hello to Peggy, and she was the one that spoke back to me, and she told me that I was pretty. I thanked her, and it was just her aura that I levitated to. Mm. And then we got dressed, we got our makeup and hair done, got dressed and sat in front of the camera. He placed everybody, started taking photos, and that was that full day. And then the second day, we went through that whole process again. And after the photo shoot, even before I got undressed to, to leave, he approached me and said, let me make a phone call. So he called an agency and he was speaking on the phone to the owner and said that he was going to send this new girl by and he wants him to sign me up to the agency. Mm -hmm. And when he was talking, he said that he had a young Beverly Johnson standing in front of him. Wow. That's amazing. And that's how my career started because after that, then I had the meeting with Soli himself. He signed me and things were progressing from there. That's amazing. I want to just um, let folks know that Zoli was a modeling agency at the time. They I, I, they represented a lot of the top models in, in the day. This is 1975. And Peggy Dillard, folks should know, is the second Black woman to be, appear on the cover of American Vogue after Beverly Johnson. So how did your life change after you signed with Zoli? It was a whirlwind because I started booking immediately and I, I wasn't even seeing clients. They were making phone calls and the word was getting out that there was a young Beverly Johnson on the scene. And so first, because I didn't know what I was doing, basically, Mm -hmm. he started sending me to Florida to do catalog work. Even though he didn't want these pictures in my portfolio, he still wanted me to get comfortable in front of a camera. And when I came back, he said that... I need to show up at such and such a place at such a time. And it was a test. Mm -hmm. So I did, not knowing that this test was for Clairol. Oh, wow. And that's how they were picking girls. So the hairdresser was there, the makeup artist and the photographer. They liked my photo. And two days later, I got a phone call from Zoe saying that I got the job to be on the hair color box and the photo shoot went well and he wanted me to come in to sign the contract. So I signed a three-year contract. Wow. How long after the Italian Vogue shoot did the Clairol hair color box moment happen? Do you remember? That I think was about six months later. 
because I was still flying down to Florida to, to get familiar being in front of the camera, learning how to move, and also at that time still trying to lose weight. That's amazing. So this is an iconic moment. Tracy was on a Clairol hair color box and the color was Auburn and it said Born Beautiful um, on that hair color box, which is just such a beautiful image. And the first time I heard about Tracy or read about her was on Monica Roberts' blog, The Trans Grio, May Monica Rest in Peace, and immediately Googled you after I read the article and saw that iconic image. And I think my mother used that hair color. I remember seeing that um, hair color box when I was a little kid in Alabama. So is it my understanding that this Clairol hair color box was in drugstores all over the country? Yes, I went into the drugstore one day with my mom and I came around to look for um, shampoo and hair conditioner. And then that was the same aisle that the uh, hair color boxes was in. And I <laughs> saw my box and started yelling for my mom in the store. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was very exciting. It's so exciting to think about. So you are this black trans girl from Newark, New Jersey. We're going to get to all of your background, but you're standing in a drugstore and you're on a Clear all hair color box. I mean, do you remember anything else about how you felt in that moment seeing that? It was surreal. I was just like in awe and yelling for my mom. And she was just so proud. And so we just took a couple of boxes off the shelf and took them home. And she kept one. I kept one for as long as I could. We were just elated. Wow. So, so at this time, it's like this was so about 1975. You're getting, you're starting to model. You're modeling for Essence magazine. You've already modeled for Vogue. You've booked in the first six months. You've booked a Clairol campaign. The whirlwind part of it. Can you paint a picture for us of what you know a day and an, an evening might be like in the life of Tracy Norman modeling in the 70s? <laughs> so I went to a couple of parties. Well, I went to the garage, of course, but then all the models were going to the garage. Anyway, so I went there. I also went to Studio 54 at one point where a local designer who was from Newark who lucked up and got a big contract in his own showroom on 7th Avenue. His name was Jamie McDonald. He dressed us all. It was three three girls and two guys mm-hmm. and got out the limo and they opened up the gates and let us into Studio 54. Do you remember the night at Studio 54? I'm obsessed with that whole era. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of celebrities that you recognized in there. There was a lot of models you recognized in there. It was a very busy place. And then they had this huge balcony. And so, you know, I was just making the rounds going up into the balcony. There was a lot of um, drugs and sex going on in the balcony because it was very dark. So I excused myself from the balcony, (laughs) came back down to the same floor. So the whole group got together because we were in coordinating colors. Um, We were all in white and the designer was in red. So we all just stayed on the dance floor and started dancing. Amazing. That's incredible. And now all along, you're trans and no one knows. Do you have, I just think about the moments in my life, early transition when I, before I would sort of disclose to people that I was trans and sort of the anxiety that I would have. Um, And I've talked to other girls who've lived stealth and that sort of the anxiety of people discovering and like losing it all. Was that under the surface for you during that first shoot for Vogue, during the shoot for Clairol and when you were doing modeling for the catalog? What was that whole thing like for you psychologically and emotionally? Um, I didn't give it a second thought because I identified myself as woman Mm -hmm. all of that time. I didn't identify with um, being trans. There was no such word back then in the 70s anyway. 
So I always identified with being a woman. So can you take us back a little bit? You, so you were born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. What was your family life like growing up in, in Newark? Well, growing up with my mom, I mean, she had to hold down jobs. This was a woman back in the 50s and 60s, a single mom. So, you know, she was very busy and we had different babysitters at some point And there was a um, a house that I was in. I believe it might have been my mother's brother's wife we were staying at. I'm not really sure. And so mm-hmm. she, let, she let me out while she sat on the steps with, with my sister, holding my sister. And she let me out. And on that particular street, you know, a lot of kids were in front of their homes and playing in the streets and riding their bikes. And so I just, you know, was playing with the other kids and wandering. And a teenage boy that was across the street called me over, invited me into his house. And that's when I was orally molested. Wow. Wow. Did this just happen once? Um, did you tell your parents about it? Um, it only happened one time. The second time he called me over, he invited me into uh, his bedroom at that time. And so as he was undressing, you know, his, taking down his pants and his underwear, um, a friend of his came out the closet and I jumped up and ran out. And then so... Days after that, it was the first time I was hearing the word faggot, gay. I didn't know what all of that meant. Wow. So after the after the assault, you, the other kids started calling you calling you faggot and sissy after that you were assaulted? No, just the two guys that were going to assault me, but I ran out the house. Wow. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That is, there's so many stories about young people um, experiencing this. And it's, yeah, I, I experienced it myself and it was not easy. And I'm still dealing with the sort of the trauma and the shame from, from that incident. So, yeah, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Do you, um, do you, ever, do you want to say anything else about that moment in your, in your childhood? Um, no, because I never went back over to their house anymore. I just stayed um, near the house that I was being babysat at. Mm-hmm. Do you, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Do you remember the first time that you dressed up in girls' clothes and, and went out? Do you remember what that first experience is like? Yeah. Two friends of mine, Jamie McDonald, the designer, and Daryl Rochester, who was a dancer at the Albanelli dance troupe. Mm-hmm. And they said, we were going out to Halloween. Did you want to come? And I said, sure. She said, well, we want to dress you up like a girl. So Jamie created this turban for my head. Daryl put on all of this makeup. Jamie made this dress for me. And so we went into New York, tried to get into some clubs that they knew about. And they wouldn't let us in because we looked too young. (laughs) So we hung out in front of the clubs and there was a lot of, you know, um, gay men going in and out of the club. So that was my first experience. And I was loving it because I saw myself in the mirror and I was like, okay. (laughs) How old were you roughly when this happened? I was living with my father, so I was 15. 15 years old. You're in New York City. 
trying to get into the clubs. <laughs> they wouldn't let you in. Yes. And here I am dressed up like a girl. So I was feeling beautiful. I'm, I'm sure you were. Um, so this would have been the mid 60s or so. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. When you graduated from high school, I, I love this story. When you graduated from high school, what did you say to your mother? Well, immediately after I received my diploma, we, walked, we went outside, we sat on the steps, I handed her my diploma, mm-hmm. and she was very proud. And so I just looked at her and told her, Mommy, I'm gay, and I told her that I wanted to be a woman. Mm. And she said she always knew she was afraid to approach me because she thought that maybe that I would reject what she was saying to me. Mm -hmm. And so she opened up her arms and gave me a huge hug. At that time, I wasn't even thinking. I didn't think that my mother was going to throw me out in the streets. I didn't know. You know, I just had to get it out because at that particular time in my life, I just had to be free. Yeah. Free of who that male person was. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting that you said um, you're gay and you wanted to be a woman. And so I think there was such a conflation between being gay and being um, trans at the time. Do you remember learning how you learned that language? Were you had you started hormones by then? Um, How did you begin to understand that you could become a woman? Well, I I learned those words when I was like 15, living with my father and being um, around Jamie McDonald and Daryl mm-hmm. because they were going to gay clubs. And so I just associated being gay through that. Got it. Got it. Did you see trans people at the clubs when you were um, going to the clubs? Yes, I did see trans people, but that wasn't until later. Um, I went to a club called the Up to Down Staircase. Mm -hmm. And that's when my first experience of seeing uh, women like myself. There were a mixture of white, Hispanic, and black, and they just looked absolutely beautiful. So I knew I was in the right place, and that's what I wanted to be. How old were you? Do you remember how old you were when you saw these women at the club? I think I was about 17, and uh, I was just amazed and wondering how did they, you know, started looking like that but I did run into a friend um, but we weren't in the same class in junior high school mm-hmm. and her name was Putin at the at the time not at that time but she transitioned to Putin and so I was sitting out in front of my father's building and she was coming up the street and I recognized her but she looked absolutely beautiful Mm. She had the kiss curls going. She was in a pair of tight jeans. She had breasts at that time. So we started talking Mm -hmm. and she told me, girl, you need to get on moans. (laughs) (laughs) Girl, you need to get on moans. Yes. Um, So what she did was reach into her pocketbook and she gave me a box of uh, birth control pills because it's pure hormones. They were white pills, and then they were blue pills on the bottom. Mm. She said, don't take those. She didn't explain why. She just said, don't take those. Just take these. And I saved them until I graduated high school, because I didn't know what was going to happen. Wow. I was still living with my father. Mm-hmm. And he thought this was a, a phase that I was going through, and I would grow out of it. 
you obviously did not grow out of it. So you didn't start taking the um, pills until after high school. Until after high school, I still had them with me and I started popping them then that summer that I graduated. And now in terms of getting more birth control pills or hormones, did you continue to get them from her? Did you find other sources? What was that process like? I'm always curious about that. Yeah, I found other sources through other girls that I had ran into in Newark, and they knew a doctor in New York City on um, Fifth Avenue. Mm -hmm. And he was giving hormone shots. You had to bring cash. So you could get a single or a double. And so I started going there. Once I learned where he was, I was going, um, started going every two weeks, then once a month. When I was getting injections, there was a funny taste in my mouth. And at one point I did throw up, but I don't know what it was from, but I kept going back. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my God. Just reminds me of my first hormone shot. There was a doctor on the Upper West Side. This was 1998. He was a plastic surgeon, but on Wednesdays, he, it was sort of trans day. So you go into the waiting room and there are all these trans women who were just gorgeous and they had stories and they had a lot of surgery. And apparently he had been around for a long time. Ah, wow. So, so you're, so you're taking hormones for a while. Um, you're, you're transitioning. Did you still live with your mom or did you move to the city? No, I was still living with my mother. And so um, a person by the name of Tommy Garrett, who was a a big Ford model who lived in Newark Mm -hmm. that I knew before my transition, Mm -hmm. he looked at me and and so he told me that I was beautiful and I should become a model. And I was like, okay, why not? (laughs) Time for a short break. When we come back, Tracy tells us about the day that changed her career and life forever. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. 
For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Okay, we're back. I want to fast forward a little bit. Um, So you've been modeling. You've done the Clairol campaign. What I want to talk about the day at the Essence magazine photo shoot where everything changed. Can you um, talk us through what you remember about the day when everything changed for you in the modeling business? Yes. Um, My second time with Essence magazine, Susan Taylor called the agency and had me come by the office to explain to me exactly what the photo shoot would be about. Mm -hmm. So I met her in her office. She introduced me to a woman that was going to box braid my hair Mm -hmm. individually and then bead my hair in, you know, with all of these gold beads. Mm. And so that took about two and a half days for them to braid my hair, then bead each and every braid. And so, and mind you, I wasn't able to get any sleep because as soon as you turn, you go clink, 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 all those beads and the beads were very heavy. Mm -hmm. So the fourth day was the photo shoot. I showed up, got my makeup done, and Susan um, was explaining to me what she wanted from me in front of the camera to act like Cleopatra sailing down the Nile. Mm. So... She was walking around with this beautiful shawl around her, and she took it off, and she told me to to take my bra off, and she tied that around me and knotted it in the back. Mm -hmm. Then we went on to set, and she sat me down in front and gave me, you know, those two stays that my mind is going blank, but those two gold stays that Cleopatra would hold when she was sitting on her throne. Mm -hmm. So she gave me those and told me to pretend that I was Cleopatra. And so I was just concentrating on the camera and giving them the different angles and moving my body slowly. And suddenly, after a few minutes of them taking the photos, and they were very excited, the photographer, Susan was saying, oh my God, these are so beautiful. And she yelled out, Tracy, these are so beautiful. We might even use one of these for the Christmas edition. Mm. So after she said that, someone came in the door. He called Susan over to him. Mm -hmm. And they had this conversation. I was still taking photos. But as soon as Susan got to him, it just felt wrong. Mm. It felt very negative. Mm -hmm. And the photographer noticed that I was losing concentration, so he told me to rest. When he told me to rest, I just glanced over to who was talking to Susan. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the assistant hairdressers from the first photo shoot that I did with Essence. And he left. I was still sitting in front of the cameras. She went over to the camera box and looked at the photos, then looked at me, looked at the photos and said, well, I think we have it. So 
she like cut the set. She'll tell you she didn't, but she cut the set. That was it. And I went into the dressing room and I was, you know, putting on my clothes and I was sitting down. Um, and then she came in and started uh, rubbing my shoulders. Mm, okay. For some reason and looking at me in the mirror. And that's when I realized what was going on because the way she looked at me was different than the other times being in her office. Had anyone ever looked at you the way she was looking at you in that moment? No, no one professional. No one professional, but in the world before you were modeling, had you seen that look? Oh, well, doing transition, it's a mess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's a hot mess. (laughs) You know, until you can get to the point where you, you know, your look is developing and and, um, you're getting to know your body and you're, you know, you're dressing better and you're wearing a bra now because your breast is growing and until those things take take place, oh yeah. So the look you saw her give you in the mirror that day was a look you had seen when you were in transition and people were basically spooking your tea or, you know, clocking you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then what happened when she was um, massaging you and looking at you in the mirror? What, what happened next? She just thanked me for coming and then she took her, took her shawl and, and went, went off and I had her sign my voucher mm-hmm. and I The next day when I got up, I called the management to my booker and they said that I didn't have anything. I didn't have any go-sees. I didn't have any testing. There was nothing. And that went on for two weeks. Two weeks. So before the Essence shoot, how many go-sees would you be going on a day, for example? I was going to see clients every day since I joined the, the agency after they stopped me from going to Florida um, they started sending me out to different magazines, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so I was definitely testing in front of the camera and seeing photographers. But after that essence shoot, there was literally nothing. My career stopped. Did you, so you, you don't know for sure what happened, right? So two weeks go by. What do you do at, after those two weeks? Yeah, I just uh, got up one morning, got dressed, and went to Zoli mm-hmm. and tried to find out what was going on. And so they had me wait in the uh, meeting room, and uh, Zoli came in himself. Instead of me talking to my booker, he came in and told me that he was dropping me and didn't give me a reason. The only reason that he gave me was a photo shoot that I had did a test with down by the Port Authority. I had on these leather pants a white jacket, my hair was snatched back, and I had some sunglasses standing next to a stop sign. Mm-hmm. And so he pointed at my hips in that picture. And so he said, you're still too too big for the agency. And that was his excuse. But I had lost weight because I was fitting the sample clothes, which were a size six at that time. Mm. So you're fitting the samples and you've booked jobs. You're, you're consistently booking, you know, so you, he tells you he's dropping you. You basically think and suspect that you're, you know, I guess your secret is out. What was your life like after that? Well, my life kind of was going downhill because after I got my check from um, Clairol, I was able to leave New Jersey and get my very first apartment on 70th Street and West End Avenue. Wow. And I had my dog with me. So my mind 
was that I had rent to pay and adult to feed. So I was just working and, and, and thinking in those terms as I was going to work. Yeah. This is, this is a job that paid you, pay your bills. And all of a sudden you don't have an agency, so you can't pay your bills. Right. So what happened next? Well, I was running out of savings and I, you know, wasn't able to at some point pay my rent. My mom came over and just packed up my clothes, grabbed my dog and got in the car and went back home. Did you, were you able to work at all? Uh, I tried to work at um, a Short Hills Mall. And I did land a job in one of the uh, smaller boutiques instead of working at at the Bloomingdale's or the Macy's or any of the department stores. I got a job at a smaller boutique. It was a shoe store, Italian shoe store called Milono. Mm-hmm. Um, they made Italian shoes for Armani and most of the high-end Italian designers. So the store had just opened and I got a job and I was there for maybe about, I would say, five months. And one afternoon, all of a sudden, we're getting full with people just staring in the window. And I'm assuming that somebody in the mall, a gay person, knew me and brought the girlfriends by to see me. Wow. And so reading their lips, they were asking, where, where? I'm the only female in the store besides the owner of the store and a, and a, and my coworker, which was a male. And they just said, where? And you could see that word coming out of their mouth. So late that day when, you know, I was getting off, this confirmed it. And get catching a bus back to Newark from Short Hills. I got on the bus, sat down in the front like I normally do. and. A girl got on and she was yelling, going back to the bus, where's that man that looks like a woman? Oh, my God. She had passed me. She didn't even look at me. She passed me and was saying this. Wow. Jesus. Did you continue to work at the store after that? <laughs> the word got around to him maybe about, I would say, a couple of weeks later, because he, I was full time. Then I went part time, and then I went no time. Now, mind you, mm-hmm. mind you, I had a little sophistication behind me during, you know, doing my little modeling days. Mm-hmm. So I knew how to dress. I knew how to conversate with with the customers, mm-hmm. and so I was slowly building up a clientele. And so they would come in. And asked for me, and then, you know, it got back to him, and it went from full-time, part-time, no time. Wow. So you lose another job because people find out your business. Yes. So after all of this, all that you've been through, where do you go from here? So um, I ran into a girlfriend of mine who started modeling around the same time that I did in, in North before all the Clairol and the and Essence magazine. And so her name was Sherry Gordon, beautiful, breathtaking woman. Mm-hmm. And she said that she was going to Paris, that I want to go. And I said, okay, when are you going? She said, right now I'm going to the airports every night to see if I can get a standby ticket on TWA. Wow. So I said, okay, let me get my money together and, you know, give me your number. We exchanged numbers. And so my mom gave me the money. 
And I told her that I was going to Paris, but I had to get a passport. So we had to wait for that. But when I got my ticket, my standby ticket, Mm -hmm. I got my passport the same day. Did you have any issues or trouble getting your passport? No, because I used my sister's birth certificate. Ah, and your sister's name, Gail, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. So you became Tracy Gail Norman after that. Yeah, modeling, I was um, Tracy Gail Norman, but my passport said Gail Norman. Oh, gotcha. And between Sherry and I, we may have had $150 between the two of us. Wow. So we landed in Paris, got into a hotel, and uh, the model that I told you about, Tommy Garrett, he was already there, but we didn't know where he was. We just had his number. Mm -hmm. And he was only three blocks away. And so... When he came over, we went out and and got something to eat. And that afternoon, he said, well, you guys got a better hotel room than I have, than I do. So I'm going to get my stuff and move in with you. (laughs) So he he moved in with us. Uh And so Sherry already had a connection with the modeling agency. And so did Tommy. Tommy had his connection with the modeling agency. I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I went with Sherry the next day to go to her agency to see if they would book me, but they didn't. So the go sees that she was going on, I would just follow her. Mm, Gotcha. But I wasn't tall enough. My hips were still too big. I still had to lose weight because you really had to be skinny to be in Paris because the clothes were cut more narrow. So a size six was not happening. Yep. So, but I was able to land a job um, at the Palace. Now, the Palace is equivalent to Studio 54 in New York. Got it. Tommy already knew the owner and the proprietor to the private club underneath the Palace, which was the privilege. And that's where we would hang out just about every night. And it happened to been maybe a three months later, um, the owner was having his birthday party at the palace. And so the proprietor for the privilege wanted to put on something special. Mm-hmm. So he asked me to get a couple of other girls. Sherry didn't want to do it. So got a couple of other girls that Tommy knew. And we put on the show, Diana Ross and the Supreme. So I was pantomiming to Stop in the Name of Love. <laughs> and it was such a hit. He loved it because it was, you know, it was just so magical. And he hired us and we were making a hundred dollars each night. That's amazing. So it, does Tommy, does Tommy know the tea? Does Tommy know your secret? Does the um, girl, what, I forget her name that you were staying with. Do either of them know your business or no? Yes. Both of them knew. Sherry I met doing, um, after my transition and I was becoming this model mm-hmm. in locally and doing local shows. But she knew, she knew that. Well, she was. She was told or she knew. It didn't matter to her anyway, however she found out. And so Tommy knew me before my transition. Got it. Got it. So how long did you work at the palace? And then how how did you end up working for Balenciaga? I worked at the palace for about a year doing that. So we were able to save up money and get our own place. That's great. Tommy and I. And uh, Sherry had met her future husband during that whole year. So Tommy and I, we got a flat, but Tommy had gotten hooked up with a, a, a guy that he liked. And so three was a crowd. So he found um, a dancer who was with a friend of America, a black American dancer, who was in need of a roommate. 
So I joined him and became his roommate, but he traveled a lot with the dance company that he was with. Mm-hmm. So basically I had the apartment to myself. So one day uh, a phone call came through and the woman was asking for the girl that was there before. So the girl that was there before was a model, but she went back to New York. So I told her that she went back to New York. And then I instantly said, are you looking for a model? Mm-hmm. And she said, yes. I said, well, I'm a model. Can I come in for the interview? She said, sure. Can you come in? Like this was a Monday. Can you come in on Wednesday? And I lied to her and I told her, well, I have a previous engagement and it will be finished in two weeks. Oh, why, why did you lie? Because I knew I was too big to fit in anything. And so I needed time to lose weight. And in order for me to lose weight, I went on my popcorn diet, (laughs) which that's all I ate, popcorn, water, and hot tea. How often did you eat the popcorn? Did this work? I'm like, popcorn, I'm thinking all the carbs in popcorn. (laughs) Popcorn. When you eat one thing and I was drinking. um, Wow. I was drinking hot tea and just water all day. And that's all. And then I went down to to the corner store. And got um, this sandwich wrap plastic, and I literally wrapped from my knees all the way up to my breast in sandwich wrap, and I walked all over the city for two weeks to lose this weight. Wow. Wow. How much weight did you lose? Do you even remember how much it was? I had no idea, but when I went to the, um, to the interview, she took me upstairs to the dressing room. and. She gave me this beautiful, super narrow leather skirt to put on. Mm -hmm. Someone called her from the room. And so I was trying to squeeze it up past my buttocks (laughs) and it wouldn't go. So what I did was lay down on the floor to flatten my butt, wiggled into the skirt and so she came in the room and I asked her, I said, well, can you help me with the zipper? So I sucked my gut in and she just zipped it up. Wow. And she took me in there to see the designer. He asked me to walk. I walked for him and he said, great. And that's how I got the job being in the showroom for Balenciaga. It was four girls mm-hmm. and all of them were white and I was the only black girl. In my mind, it was a showroom where you just uh, modeling for potential couture clients? Were you modeling for buyers? Who were you showing the clothes to? What was that process? We were modeling for both, for um, some buyers and couture. One day there was just one woman in the audience sitting with the designer and she saw the whole show and she bought clothes like that. So you were basically modeling in-house then, basically modeling in the showroom. Yeah. I was just in-house. I wasn't able to do any of the other shows because I didn't have an agent, which kind of saved me because all the black girls from New York were also in Paris. Yes. So they would have recognized me and I would have lost any job that I got with a designer. So you're at Balenciaga doing two shows a day. How long did that last? How long did that go on? Do you remember? That was about a year that I was a showroom model. And um, it was kind of torturous because um, French shoes are very narrow. Mm -hmm. And so I, we have two hour lunches. Mm -hmm. And every day that after the first show, I would go home to my apartment and 
run cold water in a tub and stick my feet in the cold water. <laughs> Aw, <laughs> poor thing. Because the shoes were so tight. They weren't my size. I've been there, girl. I've been there. It's the, really the worst. Shoes that are too small <laughs> are absolutely the worst. It's like you feel like you're going to die. Um, but you have to keep a smile on your face and you have to stand tall and walk. Absolutely. So it happened. you were at Balenciaga for a year. Why did you leave Balenciaga? Well, after that, it was during the summer, so everybody leaves. And so my friend, uh, Tommy, he suggested I should go to Italy. And it was the same situation where the summer, everyone leaves. Yes. And they go abroad or they go come to America. Wherever they go, they just leave the city. And so the city was dead. Mm-hmm. But I was able to do a trunk show mm-hmm. at a coliseum there. Nice. And then after that, I um I got a ticket back to New York. I didn't even go back to Paris. I should have went back to Paris. That was just a regret that I have, that I should have went back to Paris, but I didn't, and I went back to, to New York. Why didn't you go back to Paris? You know, there's no work. Mm. There wasn't even magazine work. So I just went back to Mom's house and um, went to a smaller boutique agency which was Grace Del Marco. Mm-hmm. It was a black owned agency. And so they hired me on the spot. And that's how I got the Ultra Shin cosmetic contract. Mm-hmm. And that's also the, that was a test that I did for Avon. Wow. And the photographer took the work up there and they liked my photo that he took. And so they called me in and I signed a contract with them for a year. And the cosmetic company with Johnson's Cosmetics, Ultrasheen, they signed me to a year contract. Amazing. Do you know roughly what year would this have been? Are we in the 80s now? Yeah, we're about in the mid 80s. In the mid 80s. So you come back from Paris, you get a boutique agency, and then you get an Ultrasheen and an Avon contract. That's pretty awesome. I've seen those photos. They're um, pretty epic. Yeah, I hadn't been with them for a long time either. But I already had, like, you know, Shots that I did in Paris, shots that I did in New York, of course, being on the hair color box. So do you think by the time you got back to New York from Paris that like the rumor, I guess you're at a new agency. Were you concerned that people were going to know know your business? What was that like? I wasn't really even thinking about that. Okay. I just wanted to, to work. Yeah. So, but they did find out because Ebony Magazine ran the ad. Mm-hmm. Um, other magazines, you know, uh, ran the ads. And so people started recognizing me. Grace and Marco got a call. I got discharged. Oh, my God. So basically, right after the ad started running, someone called the agency and then you got dismissed. Jesus Christ. Yeah, people started recognizing me. So um, they made a phone call and that was that. Wow. We have to take another break, but when we return, what went through Chasey's mind when she got a message from Clairol after almost four decades? Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. 
Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Alrighty then, let's just dive right back in. When I think about how it was a big deal for Black models to have any kind of campaign, I just just think about reading about um, Veronica Webb and Naomi Campbell and, and Amon back in like the 70s and 80s and how difficult it was to get beauty campaigns. And that was the goal for a lot of models at the time is the, is the way I understand it. And so and at this point, by the 80s, you've booked three like sort of major campaigns. I'm just thinking if you hadn't been outed, like what could you have done if like, because you were, you were booking a lot and you were working a lot. Do you ever think about that? Well, I mean, yeah, but, you know, like I said, when I got with Dre Del Marco, I had no, you know, I had no idea because I wasn't thinking in those terms. I had started working again and I, you know, and I was loving the atmosphere and I figured that, you know, a smaller agency, I was able to hide longer, mm-hmm. you know, instead of a high end agency like um, Zoli and because he was famous, it was like the third biggest agency in in new york at the time Zoli, mm-hmm. and so um i just thought you know i might be able to just slide in there and start working again but it didn't happen wow what happened after you were dropped by this um agency well i after that i kind of got depressed about a I guess it was depression. The thing about depression is you don't even know you're de- you're depressed because i've never experienced depression before mm-hmm. so I started hanging out with the wrong people and then drugs got involved in my life. And, um, and when I did that, um, 
my best friend knocked on my door one day and literally saved my life. How? How did your friend save your life? I had hit rock bottom, and so there was no joy in my life. And Douglas is a very funny, silly person. Mm -hmm. And he started out by putting a smile back on my face. And he was starting to come over to my to my apartment every day. And uh, we would just hang out and start talking. And um, sorry, mm. getting a little emotional. It's okay. Okay. And then he um, started putting me in front of the camera and building my confidence back up. Yeah. And that's how um, I became his muse. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, we started hanging out more and more. And... People like uh, Tommy and Douglas have a tendency, like my mom, to shelter me, to protect me. Uh -huh. And so um, he started doing that. And I was being spoiled by him because he would just give me dresses, make me dresses anytime that I need dresses. And that was around the time that I needed to work. Yeah. So he told me about Show Center, and I went and uh, got hired at Show Center. I just I want to just pause for Show Center for people who saw Pose. They they saw a little bit of what Show Center was, but Show Center was basically a peep show that was existed in Times Square in the eighties and I think early nineties. In the Madonna Open Your Heart video, it kind of is like what the peep shows were, I guess, at the time. Is that how you would describe Show Center, Tracy? Exactly, and I didn't mind it because the dates couldn't touch you. Mm -hmm. They were behind this petition. They hand you money through the slot, whatever it is that they need you to do, et cetera, et cetera. And um, show center was where the girls worked. Okay. And when we say the girls, we the, the trans girls. I think what I find so interesting about Show Center is that, and what sounds beautiful actually about it at the time, there's a lot of trans women I've read about at the time who worked at Show Center in the 80s. And so the trans women were able to go someplace, make a, a, an honest living, be safe and support themselves and then go about their business and go about their lives. Exactly. Exactly. Because we make good money. All of us make good money. And you start building your own clientele you know, dates that were there specifically for you. Mm -hmm. It was great money at the time. So you start working at Show Center. Douglas is making you clothes. Um, did you do, what were you doing outside Show Center? Um, I was hanging out with a girlfriend. And so we went to the balls and uh, met people from the House of Africa. That's how I became a member first. Yeah. And so the founders didn't want to be uh, mother and father anymore. Mm -hmm. So they elected me and Eddie to be mother and father. And that's how I became mother. What year was this roughly? This was in the early 90s, I believe, late 80s, early 90s, when I became um, involved in the House of Africa. And that's how my name, Tracy Africa, got over the <laughs> ball community. <laughs> I was bringing something different to the table. And so I stood out when I would be on the runway. Well, you had modeled professionally for many years. Yeah. So I only knew one way to do it. And so that's how I became, you know, so popular. 
I first went to a box in the early 70s. Uh-huh. It was very exciting. I, I, I've always said that the ball community has the most talented people on earth. Mm. And at that time, back then, it was all about the girls. It wasn't about what it is now, the voguing and and predominantly the male part of what's going on in the ball community now. Mm-hmm. I think the girls are starting to pick back up. Gotcha. Gotcha. Amazing. So for those out there who don't know, balls are these events. Um, if you've seen the film Paris is Burning or if you watched your show Pose, it's balls are these houses where people sort of in their communities, you know, for the House of La Beja, the House of Extravaganza, etc. So they were places where there were families and, and the balls would be these events where kids would um, walk or vogue for trophies in various categories, but realness, femme queen face, etc., etc. For those who don't know what balls are. I want to skip ahead a little bit. And when I I discovered you in 2009, I believe, I started telling everyone I knew about you. And then someone suggested, someone said, oh, you should play Tracy in a movie. And I was like, oh my God, that's a great idea. And I, re- and I, I was like, okay. So I like did some research and I got your phone number. I don't know if you remember this. I got your phone mm-hmm. number and I called you in New Jersey. And I, you know, I explained who I was at this point. I had done, you know, done some reality television. This was 2010. And you told me your story. You were amazing and so generous with your time. And then I said, I would love to do, you know, a, a TV show or a movie, a TV movie about you. And you freaked out the second I said TV. You were like, no, 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 I can't do that. You know, I can't have people find out just the whole idea of that was just like, you know, you were just like, I would, I will never do this. And then in 2015, I saw an, an interview with you in New York Magazine for The Cut, where you told your story. And I was so happy and excited that you have finally come forward to tell your story because it is legendary. It's epic, the life that you have lived. What made you in 2015 decide to come forward and tell, um, tell your story? Um, Douglas. Douglas, oh. <laughs> they got in touch with Douglas because nobody knew how to get in touch with me. And it took a minute for me to agree to the story. So it took like maybe about four or five days because he was saying, well, look, you're older now. You know, you lived a full life. You know, you have nothing to lose. And, you know, at least tell your story because you've accomplished something that nobody else had and that you know, your story should be told. I was kind of forced to live a very private life. Even when I was working at Show Center, after I left that, it was still private. Mm -hmm. Even when I was going to the ball, after that, I was still private. I wasn't a fixture. I learned long time ago when you're a fixture, whether you go over a, a group of friends' house all the time, or you go to the neighborhood bar, or you go anywhere, a nightclub, people that get to know you start disrespecting you. Mm. What do you mean by that? Start disrespecting you in what way? They feel as though they can say anything to you and um, be too familiar with you. And they don't even really know you. They just see you at these places, have small conversations with you. And, you know, just like, just, you know, just saying things that were all wrong. They make assumptions about who you are. Yeah, making a sentence, asking me about my sex life, and you know, just things like that. Things that are off the wall and none of nobody's business. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. 
So I was forced to be this loner. Yeah. So when you decide, so you tell your story to New York Magazine, the story comes out. What what did that feel like after all these years? What was that like to sort of have this newspaper article, you know, sort of claiming all of your history and everything that you've been through? What was that like? In the beginning, when I the story came out, they attached transgender to my name. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a throwback for me, you know, because in the interview, I explained to her that I never identified as transgender. I identified as as a woman. For you, so, so for you, transgender was something different. And obviously you, that, that word didn't exist back in the day. So that didn't feel right to you. It didn't feel authentic to you to have that in front of your name. No, it didn't. It didn't feel right. And then, you know, the girls today, they're very proud and telling the community, telling people who they are, what they are. Mm -hmm. And I was trained not to because I'm a child that was born in the 50s, grew up in the 60s and 70s. So there was no way that I was able to wear that T-shirt and say, you know, I'm trans and I'm proud. During that time. Yeah. Also, back in the day, the protocol when trans people transitioned was to like, you don't tell anyone. You keep your business to yourself for safety, for all kinds of reasons. It was girl, people just didn't say anything back then. Half of them you don't even know because they live privately. Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that we found out about you, though, because I've, I've always been inspired, deeply inspired by your story. And what is also inspiring is that after Clairol saw the New York Magazine article, they approached you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes, I had um, got this email that Clairol wanted to reach out to me. I think they contacted Douglas first mm-hmm. again. <laughs> <laughs> and he forwarded the email to me. And they were very evasive on the phone. The woman on the other end introduced herself to me and she said she was representing a company and the company is interested in speaking with you. Would you be interested? And I said, sure, why not? And so we went to this restaurant where we were having lunch and meeting the rest of the clients and they all sat down. And so um, one of the people that I was meeting was saying, do you know why you're here? I said, no, I have no clue. <laughs> so they said, that, well, we're from Clairol and we would like to have you come back to Clairol. Mm. And so many emotions was going through my brain. I was feeling like I wanted to cry. I wanted to laugh. I, uh, I felt like, you know, like nervous. I was, you know, like a little shaky because it was just, it was overwhelming that Clairol, even though it's under a new owner, invited me back to represent the company. And so I was just so honored with that. Yeah. So amazing. So beautiful. The ads are gorgeous. The photos are gorgeous. How did it feel when you went on the shoot for Clairol, I think 40 years later? (laughs) Well, I I asked them, um, I was jokingly, well, jokingly, kind of seriously said, "Um, do you guys know how old I am? (laughs) (laughs) They started laughing and said, I said, well, you know, I'm in my early 60s because I think I was in the, my early or mid 60s at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Yeah, so it was just, you know, overwhelming. And then they flew me out to California, put me up in a hotel. We went to um, the studio and I met everybody, hairdresser, makeup people. Mm-hmm. And then I did the commercial for them that day. And I also did the advertisement for the magazine that day. You've been modeling for Douglas, right? So, but did it, how did it feel being back? Do you, did, did it all just kind of come right back to you when you were in front of the camera again? Yeah, when I got in front of the camera, it felt very natural. Yeah. And I was um, comfortable enough to uh, start moving, you know, in front of the camera. Amazing. Now, um, I have to ask you this. So Susan Taylor, after the New York Magazine article came out, she was interviewed by New York Magazine and said some really interesting things. Are you aware of the article and and what she said in the article? Yes, uh, New York Mag called me up and discussed it with me. Yeah, in the article she said that she um, she did not remember sh- shutting down the photo shoot, that she had no recollection of that. She also said that she knew that, I don't, the language she used was um, disturbing, but she said that she knew your business um, and that everyone knew and that she never would have, you were safe at Essence is what she, what she said basically. And that she never would have, you know, let you go. Um, She also said in the article that she wanted to contact you and talk to you about it. Has she contacted you? What do you think about what she said in that article? Um, New York Mag asked me the same thing and I said, no comment. They gave me her phone number and I said, no, thank you. I just felt like meeting her would be a waste of time if she, says she doesn't remember things, and I can describe exactly what she had on that day. Mm -hmm. She had on a a cashmere pullover sweater, cream color, um, cream color pleated pants. She had on camel color Italian boots with a camel color belt, leather belt, with a a black and green shawl that she had gotten on a a trip to Egypt, and that's what she wrapped around my breast. Mm. I remember forbidden because it was a shocking moment for me. So I remember everything. I remember what the photographer had on. I remember what the makeup artist had on. I remember what the person that came in the door had on. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I got to um, confront a, a kid who had bullied me. They didn't remember any of the bullying. I remembered every single detail. When something horrible happens to you, you remember all the details. And what's deep is the bullies often don't remember at all. They're like, oh, did that happen? Oh, I didn't, I don't remember. Um, So, yeah. Oh, Tracy, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all this today. I'm just so blown away by your life. And I'm just so grateful that you've shared it with us today. Is there something else you want to wrap up with and share with the people? Sure. I recently received an email from the Smithsonian Black History Museum, and they're in contact and negotiations with me to put my work in the museum in Washington, D.C. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, we, our history is so important, and I'm obsessed with our history, and you are living history that everyone should know about. So I like to end the podcast with a question that comes from my therapy. And basically the question is, what else is true? And it's basically, if something is challenging in our lives and that creates anxiety or nerves or whatever, there is something else in our lives that we can also lean into that is positive, that's neutral or positive, and it can shift our nervous systems. It can shift like the day we're having. So I ask you today, Tracy, Africa Norman, 
what else is true? Well, when I try not to concentrate on the negative, and so mm -hmm. I'm on the spiritual journey, so I read my daily word every day. I read the Bible and I read these self-help books that were given to me and, you know, surrounded myself with positive people and I just stay away from the negative. And there you go. There you go. Thank you so much, Miss Norman. I am deeply honored that you've taken this time to share your incredible story with us. Thank you. And I'm honored that you reached out to me. It's just amazing that your love has shined on my light for so long. And we've been in conversations through texting and it's just so joyful. Thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Norman. Thank you and stay safe. That was amazing. And I think if there are any takeaways we can glean, there's, there are many. I think about how important it, it is to honor our history. Transgender isn't a term that Tracy seems to want to embrace, but she is living trans history and having a sense of what her life was like in the 70s and 80s and 90s is deeply important to me as a trans person, deeply inspiring. And... This, this thread throughout Miss Norman's life is that she had support, Tommy, Sherry, her friends who dressed her up for the very first time, and of course, Douglas. These people throughout her life, community that have kept her alive and given her sustenance and a warm place to land. Community is so important. Family is so important. If it's not your family of origin, it can be a chosen family. How beautiful. Thank you for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. Join me July 8th when I kick off our next series of episodes with Dr. Cornell West, philosopher, public intellectual, professor, and one of my greatest spiritual teachers. You've probably heard him on the Tightrope podcast, seen him on CNN, or read one of his 20 books on race, democracy, and justice. I am so very excited to share our powerful conversation on love, truth, and so much more. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Laverne Cox and on Facebook at Laverne Cox for real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.